This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Are you prepared to declare a national emergency with respect to climate change? I've already done that. National emergency, we've conserved more land, we've rejoined the Paris Climate Accord, we've passed a $368 billion climate control facility. It is the existential threat to humanity. So you've already declared that national emergency? Practically speaking, yes. Well, the president hasn't actually declared a climate emergency, but should he? This week, representing our series, Plugged In, How the IRA is Changing America, where we check in on the Biden administration's efforts to combat climate change and what work is yet to be done. It's been nearly a year since the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 was narrowly passed by Congress, and some initiatives are working. Later this week, we dig into how it's helping electrify our homes, our transportation, and whole communities. But first up, as the country faces record-breaking heat, stronger storms, and deadly wildfires, is the IRA enough. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash on investing or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Let's get into it with our first guest. Joining us now is the White House's National Climate Advisor, Ali Zaidi. Ali, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. So why hasn't the president declared, formally declared, a climate emergency? From day one of his administration, the president has treated the climate crisis as an emergency. He joined the Paris Climate Accord, set ambitious goals, passed historic legislation, and has used emergency tools like the Defense Production Act to deliver the resources that we need to combating this urgent crisis And he continues to look at additional tools and resources, authorities that he has to bring more resources to bear on this urgent era-defining crisis that we have, and frankly, unlock the economic opportunity associated with taking on climate change in this bold way. But again, the president hasn't declared a climate emergency. Would that not give him more tools to use to help combat this crisis? The president has a number of tools that he's using right now, and I think they go underappreciated. We talk a lot about the Inflation Reduction Act, but the president's actually taking several hundred executive actions, including using his tools under the Clean Air Act to set greenhouse gas limits for power plants, for tailpipe emissions. Um, He's setting standards for even for procurement in uh, heavy industry for cement asphalt, flat glass. So we're going after emissions everywhere they're found in the economy and finding better ways uh, to produce the things we need uh, to run the economy without putting pollution into the sky. 
Um, and, you know, I think whether it's the Defense Production Act or the tools he's used to jumpstart the domestic solar industry, the president's not been afraid to use emergency tools where they're justified um, to propel us forward in tackling this crisis. You mentioned executive actions, which can be overturned if there is a new president um, after the upcoming election. And, and it makes me wonder whether the president is continuing to work with Congress or in what ways he's trying to work with Congress to continue to combat climate change. You know, it's really important that we make irreversible progress uh, as quickly as we can. Um, and when I think about the over 100 clean energy factories uh, that have been announced just since the IRA was signed into law. That steel that's going into the ground, those factories are going to continue to move forward. Um, We've seen 10 to 12 million homes worth of clean electricity come online since the president took office. The number of EVs on the road has, uh, we are tripled the number of sales. We've doubled the number of charging stations. We've doubled the number of EVs that are being offered. Um, that's really powerful progress. It's going to be hard to turn around. But let's be clear, there are congressional Republicans who are working to try to do just that. This summer, many Americans experienced some of the harshest effects of climate change, extreme heat, stronger storms. Of course, we're following the tragic wildfires in Hawaii. How are you prioritizing adapting to climate change effects we're already seeing versus mitigating the root cause, which is our heavy reliance on burning fossil fuels? Well, we've got to do both, and we've got to do both with a sense of urgency and with an appreciation of the emergency nature of this challenge. Um, So when it comes to mitigation, the root cause, uh, getting away from the emissions that are generated specifically by combusting fossil fuels for energy. Um, That's moving to solar, to wind, to nuclear, to clean hydrogen, um, to technologies like carbon capture and storage and geothermal. And we're doing that uh, at a a historic pace. Um, But also, and this is through the infrastructure law principally, the president's investing um, record amount into the resilience of our communities. So the bipartisan infrastructure law specifically included over $50 billion for resilience. That means things like hardening our grids, undergrounding those power lines that sometimes get knocked down and contribute to fires, elevating roads three, four feet high so that they don't wash away in the next storm, equipping communities with funds to build cocoons or strengthen community centers, um, getting those resources, not just to communities that already have them, but the communities that don't, uh, to low-income communities, to low-lying communities, to tribal communities. Um, And through the Inflation Reduction Act, we also have funding um, to make sure that we're boosting the resilience of our agriculture systems. Thanks to the president, we were able to broker an agreement among the seven basin states of the Colorado River, which feeds 40 million Americans and five and a half million acres of agriculture to help conserve the water in that region uh, and make the river more sustainable in the coming years. 
Rhodium Group is an analytics firm. It it tracks greenhouse gas emissions. According to a report they released last month, the U.S. is not on track to meet its pledge to reduce emissions from 50 to 52, by 50 to 52 percent by 2030 under the Paris Climate Agreement. And of course, it's the 2015 treaty between world leaders that aims to keep global warming between 1.5 degrees Celsius. And this was a big selling point of the IRA. What else is the administration working on to keep that goal in reach? Yeah, you know, when we came into office, um, folks don't remember this because it's two and a half years ago, um, the U.S. was on track by that same rhodium analysis and other similar blue chip modelers for about 20, uh, 20, 22, maybe 25 percent emissions reductions by the end of this decade. Um, We're now looking at about 2x that. So we've doubled our pace of decarbonization within this decade. But in addition to that, we need to take more steps. And that's why the president has proposed standards to reduce our emissions uh, of methane, which is a super polluting greenhouse gas primarily uh, that comes out of the oil and gas sector. And not only has he proposed methane standards for the United States, he's brought around over 100 countries into a global methane pledge. The president's tackling hydrofluorocarbons, a super polluting greenhouse gas over a 100 million metric tons of emissions reductions by 2030, just through the measures we're taking on HFCs. I've talked about the power plant standards, the tailpipe standards, uh, as well as efforts we're taking to decarbonize steel, cement, aluminum, uh, and deliver emissions reductions in the agriculture sector. All of those things add up, and they will put us uh, where we need to be by the end of this decade. That's Ali Zaidi. He's the White House National Climate Advisor. Ali, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Coming up, the Inflation Reduction Act made big promises to fight climate change. Is it delivering? We talk about that and more after the break. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race don't start and stop with the news cycle. We know that race is always relevant, and we have new topics, new voices, and new stories for you every single week. Listen to the Code Switch podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the first conversation we're having as part of our series, Plugged In, by adding three new voices. Joining us now is Leah Stokes. She's a political science professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Leah, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Also joining us is Zoya Tierstein. She's a staff writer at Grist. Zoya, welcome. Thanks for having me. And Emily Pontecorvo, a staff writer at Heat Maps. That's a digital magazine covering climate change. Emily, welcome to 1A. Thanks. Good to be here. Leah, let's start with the politics of the moment. We just heard from the National Climate Advisor, Ali Zaidi. One year out from the IRA, how is the Biden administration leveraging the bill? The Biden administration is really trying to build on this big climate law. And you heard it a little bit from the climate advisor, Ali Zaidi, at the top of the hour. 
you know, they are putting out executive actions to clean up the power sector. What does that mean? Well, we have this law called the Clean Air Act. And for decades, really, there has been a requirement for our federal government to deal with greenhouse gas pollutions because they endanger Americans' health. And so the Biden administration has put out a proposal to deal with carbon pollution from coal plants and gas plants. And that proposal really builds on these investments in the Inflation Reduction Act to get us a lot further down the road when it comes to cutting carbon pollution. So there's a lot of things happening at the federal level to really build on those federal investments we got over the fin last year. Well, as I mentioned, though, executive actions can be overturned by an incoming administration. So are there any other tools the Biden administration can access right now? Well, thankfully, it's not quite that simple. If there are rules and regulations that are only finalized right at the tail end of the administration, then they can be overturned. But if you finalize these rules, if they go all the way through the process, it's actually quite hard for a future administration to overturn them. They basically have to put out a new rule. They have to go through a whole new process. It's quite lengthy. And they can, of course, get sued in doing that. So these rules are a bit stickier than you might think. Um, You know, executive orders and other things like that can easily be turned over. But many of these rules actually will persist after the Biden administration. Zoya, how is climate change emerging as an issue for voters this upcoming election? You know, I I am inclined to think that climate change is becoming an increasingly visceral issue for for voters, something we're seeing this summer, especially people are really concerned about these, uh, you know, rising climate impacts. But it's still unclear whether climate change ranks as high as the economy, as jobs. Um, It seems like those issues are still top of mind for voters. And it makes sense. You know, those are immediate issues, as is climate change, though, I will say, especially this summer. Um, And you can see from the way the Biden administration is packaging its its plans, it's called Bidenomics now. You know, they're focusing mainly on the economy um, rather than climate change per se. So it's clear that um, voters, you know, are are still mainly focused on, on what's right in front of them. Although I will say recent polling shows climate change is an increasingly visceral issue. Yeah. Well, take us back a little bit. The IRA was a struggle for Democratic lawmakers to push across the finish line. It's an amended version of Biden's failed social services bill, uh, the Build Back Better Act. What made that effort so difficult? Well, it was hard for Democrats to to get, you know, any kind of climate action over the finish line. Republicans opposed them at basically every turn. And then at the end, you know, you saw Manchin, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who's um, a moderate, um, but a Democrat um, for now, um, and and Chuck Schumer um, working together to get this this piece of legislation across the finish line. And that was a that was sort of an eleventh hour last ditch effort. We thought, you know, from from my perspective, I thought that you know every effort had been blocked and that climate action was not going to happen. Um, and then it did. And, and so that, that's, that's really a success story for Democrats. They managed to get this through. They positioned at the time as a down payment on climate action. And so that's really what comes next, right? That's sort of the, the next hard part is, is what do you do now that you've already made that down payment? More needs to be done. So what comes next? Emily, what are the major climate provisions included in the version of the IRA that passed in August? Oh, there's so many. It's hard to know where to begin. Um, You know, if we wanted to start with what's really relevant for listeners, there are sort of three buckets of provisions that, you know, individuals and households can use to cut emissions from their own energy use. So there's funding to swap your gas car out for an electric car. Um, You can get up to $7,500 in tax credits for that. 
Um, there is funding to get solar panels on your house, um, to install energy storage systems. So basically big batteries, kind of like the battery in an electric car, but hooked up to your house to store the, the solar energy. And then there's a third bucket of funding for um, swapping out your gas appliances, like your heating system with electric appliances, like your listener Kate just talked about electrifying her home. Um, so there's all of those. And then beyond that, there's there's money for sort of utility scale, solar and wind and geothermal energy projects. There's money to keep nuclear plants online um, longer if they were in danger of closing. There's funding for um, all kinds of new solutions to decarbonize these so-called hard to decarbonize industries like cement and steel, these parts of the economy that it's not as easy to just electrify. So we're investing in new solutions like clean hydrogen to um, cut emissions from these other sectors. Hey, Leah, are people taking advantage of these tax credits to produce solar panels and, and wind turbines? Well, I've already taken advantage of them. I fully electrified my house this year, put solar on the roof, have heat pumps, uh, have a battery, and I already had an EV. So there's one small data point, but I was actually <laughs> looking at the data. Um, and yeah, solar is way up this year. Uh, EV sales are off the charts. I mean, one in four cars being sold right now in California, for example, is an electric vehicle. I think it's like 75% uh, increase in EV sales nationwide. So EVs are really leading the pack. And already last year, even before the Inflation Reduction Act passed, heat pumps actually outsold gas furnaces. So we've got states like Maine, for example, that are way ahead of the pack. 30% of all the heat pumps sold in this country are sold in Maine because they have an amazing program helping people get off of really expensive delivered fuel, you know, oil and propane onto heat pumps. And so, yeah, we're really starting to see that. Now, it's important to note that the available money right now is mostly tax credits, but very soon there's going to be rebate programs and also green banks and money that's more targeted towards low-income and middle-income families because, you know, tax credits can be a bit harder to access. If you don't owe the federal government a lot of money, you know, you can't really use them. But there's now tens of billions of dollars that's about to go out the door that's going to flow through states, flow through uh, green banks, and that is going to help lower income folks, you know, folks in affordable housing get access to these technologies too. Now, Leah, so we're Leah, still before at the we move very on, edge. What, what is a yeah. green bank? Explain that. Oh, what is a green bank? So the law included $27 billion to help get uh, more access to clean technologies like solar panels and heat pumps for lower income folks. So a green bank can be set up at a state level. It could be set up by a nonprofit. And it's a way that money can either be lent or sometimes even just given to folks across this country to get access to those clean technologies. And it can be paid back and with no interest or with low interest. So it's based basically like a pool of money that can help folks get access to all these clean technologies. So yeah, as we mentioned earlier, the IRA was passed entirely by Democrats. No Republicans voted for it in either branch of Congress. That makes me wonder, now that people are starting to access some of these resources, how is the GOP talking about it a year later? Well, it's it's a mixed bag. Uh, you know, the, the IRA really um, benefits red states the most, and you see sort of a, a mixture of reactions in those states. You see some Republicans who are 
welcoming the the investments, but others are not. You know, I think there are something like maybe Dr. Stokes can correct me if this is wrong, but I think there are four Republican states that have said they won't accept any um, IRA money at all. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that it's it, it's still sort of a tough sell, despite the fact that, as Emily described, there are so many incentives in there. Um, th- there's so much to gain from that from that bill. Um, but you know, politics is a really strong force, and and it's at play here for sure. One of you texted, "I've been working to educate leaders in my county about the IRA. We have a high percentage of low and middle income individuals who would benefit from the rebates to replace HVAC systems and water heaters. The rebates are implemented by the state." and only available for homeowners replacing gas with electricity. We're also trying to educate leaders of vocational programs to apply for funding to train people in our county. I wonder that this will not ha- I worry rather that this will not happen and in spite of good intentions, low-income people will not benefit from the program. Emily, what are we seeing so far in terms of low-income people being able to access some of the benefits of the IRA? You know, I think that's a little bit tough to answer because at this point, so a lot of the um, funding for low-income and moderate-income households is in the form of rebates. And as Dr. Stokes mentioned earlier, states have to apply to that funding. It's not yet available. Um, So right, I think DOE just recently, the Department of Energy just recently opened up the application system for states to apply to that funding. And I think we'll start to see those programs roll out next year um, in the states that that get that funding. Um, There will be a lot of money, though. Um, Households that make less than 80% of their area medium income will be able to get 100% of their costs covered to electrify their homes and make them more energy efficient, up to about $14,000. And and there's, there's a bunch more. So that money will will be rolling out next year, I think. Leah, the other part of that comment from our listener that I heard was a concern about education, about leaders in individual counties knowing enough about the IRA to perhaps prepare the next uh, workforce to be able to provide, you know, solar energy. Is that something the Biden administration is doing well, educating the public about what's available? You know, this law is so big and sprawling, it's true that it can be challenging for local officials to navigate it. Um, There are some resources like the Climate Policy Portal that Atlas Public Policy runs that any local official can sign up and get a membership for, and it'll help them navigate not just the money from the Inflation Reduction Act, but also other bills like the infrastructure law that are funding, for example, charging infrastructure across the country. So it is actually quite a stress on state and local officials to figure out where is this money? How can I access it? How do I make sure it actually benefits my community? That's going to be a challenge. But, you know, there is money, for example, in that program to do rebates for low and moderate income um, families. There's money to actually fund the state offices to implement those programs, too. So there will be increasing capacity over time time. And I'm hopeful that this law will help more low and moderate income folks than we've ever seen before with climate policy, because we've historically done climate policy through the tax code, you know, EVs and solar. Why are they more likely to be on wealthier and whiter households? Because they are done through the tax code. This is the first time that we have probably around $50 billion of targeted money to low and moderate income folks that doesn't rely lie on paying taxes, you know, owing the federal government money in order to get support. So I'm really hopeful that this could be a big game changer once that money starts to flow. Well, let's go back to our voicemail box. We've not electrified our home or our vehicles yet. 
and that's for the following reasons. We are not confident that whether it be solar panels or batteries, that their components and raw materials are free of conflict, that their manufacturers will recover and recycle their products once their life has expired, and that we can purchase from a U.S. manufacturer or an allied manufacturer. It would also help to know what the total cost per unit energy derived is um, on these products and if that can be made available to the consumer. Thanks for that message. Leah, what kind of provisions does the IRA include about the origin of these renewable energy sources? Well, you know, here's the thing. I'd like to know that the fossil fuels powering a car are conflict-free, but they're probably not, you know. Oil and gas and coal has been linked to conflicts all around the world really for decades. Uh, Unfortunately, there's talking points out there to try to cast doubt on the clean technologies of the future, to focus on their shortcomings, which exist without focusing on the massive shortcomings of the fossil fuel industry. You know, we're talking about an industry that has corrupted our politicians. When we talk about why won't Republicans vote for this, let's just look at the amount of campaign contributions that are coming from oil companies, uh, utilities towards the Republican Party, because it's in their financial interests of the fossil fuel industry to slow down the transition. Emily, I want to hear from you you as well on this before we go to break. Go ahead. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, I I don't have the numbers in front of me of exactly, you know, where the materials have to come from. But I do know that uh, manufacturing solar and wind manufacturing is booming in the U.S. 51 new solar panel factories have been announced since the IRA went into effect last year. So we are seeing these industries come to the U.S., Well, a third of the IRA's climate initiatives stem from individual actions. But how far can individual actions go to fight climate change? That and more after a quick break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card has no preset spending limit, so the card's purchasing power can adapt to meet business needs. Plus, the card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase, so the more a business spends, the more miles earned. And when traveling, the VentureX business card grants access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The VentureX business card. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Bluehost, introducing Wondersuite. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few questions and get a unique, customizable WordPress website or store right away. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. I want to get back into the conversation by digging in a little more on how the IRA affects states. Zoya, how much responsibility does the bill give states to make clean energy changes? You know, a good amount, but I wanted to just mention that it's not, you know, uh, 
Ali Zaidi was talking about the things that the federal government has done to to sort of transition to green energy, and those are all extremely valid. I think that what's been sort of underemphasized is that states and communities, even just at the individual level, at the local level, are going to make a, a variety of different decisions in the coming years when it comes to climate change. And that's also what's leading to, you mentioned the rhodium analysis, mm-hmm. that analysis that looked at, you know, the range of um, percentage points that, that, um, that may decrease by uh, the end of the, the decade. Um, and that really depends on like everything from individual actions, like people showing up to vote at local elections to uh, the state level, to the national level, to what, as I mentioned, what future bills might get passed. So states have, you know, a tremendous role to play here. I think that one of the one of the major factors in that rhodium analysis was what states pass on their own in addition to the federal government. Um, but I just wanted to say that, you know, it's so important to, to note that it's a it's a very holistic view. It's not just what Biden is doing. It's also all of these decisions that that actors make at the local, state, and federal level. But so if we're seeing some states go all in on the IRA, others saying we're not interested, others falling somewhere in in between, what does that mean for the U.S.'s ability to meet its climate goals? Yeah, that is such a great question, Jen, and one that I think the Biden administration is grappling with right now. So um, a recent poll showed that just three in 10 Americans really knew anything substantial about um, the, oh, excuse me, it's, it's the opposite. Three in 10 Americans didn't know anything substantial about the IRA and what it meant for them. And that's pretty significant. People don't really know a lot about this bill. I mean, Emily and Lee have been talking about all the different incentives and the different benefits that come with it, but people don't really know about it. Um, um, at least they don't know about it to, to any great extent. So there's a hurdle there in terms of what the Biden administration needs to do and how it needs to um, package uh, what it's already accomplished in order to to accomplish more, right? You can't really build on your progress if people aren't aware of what the progress even is. Well, that same poll also found that 57% of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of climate change. And a pivotal moment was the administration approving new drilling projects in Alaska, something the president explicitly said he wouldn't do and which doesn't align with the country's climate goals. So what does that mean for this disconnect between what the Biden administration is touting as movement and momentum around addressing climate change and the American public's view of what's actually happening. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I do not envy uh, Joe Biden in the position he's in right now. I mean, he's got folks um, further left of him who are pushing him to do more on climate change. And then uh, he's got folks on the right who don't want to play ball at all. Um, and then, you know, he has this, this, this middle section that doesn't seem to know what he's even done to, uh, to help mitigate climate change and how that, what that means for their lives. So, so it's tricky. It's, we're looking at a moment when um, we've just, the U.S. has just passed this uh, historic climate bill. And now we're seeing how that bill gets packaged, how it gets sold to the American public. And so I don't have any, you know, great wisdom about how that's all going to go down. Um, But I do know that I'm watching it very carefully because how this all plays out in the coming years, coming months even, um, is crucial for how the future of climate action in this country may unfold. Leah, how do you think the administration can get the American public and particularly young people to trust that they're serious on climate change? Well, I think that President Biden is the best climate president we've had by a mile. You know, it's 
hard to understand how transformative the Inflation Reduction Act is because it's just one year old. It's like an infant that's becoming a toddler. We don't quite know what it's going to be yet. That $50 billion that we talked about for lower and moderate income folks, it's not out the door yet, right? So it's still so early for folks to really be feeling, know they're coming. I see the big transformation that the Biden administration is behind. And, you know, I'm sure that there's more to be done. And climate change is so emotionally overwhelming. I mean, we just saw an entire you know, city, Lahaina in Hawaii and Maui burned down. I can completely understand why people are upset and freaked out and especially young people. But this president, and especially when you compare him to whoever is going to be his challenger, he really does care about climate change. And that's not just cheap talk. The Inflation Reduction Act is the biggest investment in climate action that we've ever had in in American history. But would you agree, Leah, that there is, there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect between what the Biden Uh administration Uh is saying they're doing and what is actually uh, coming across to the American public? Absolutely. It's exactly as you and Zoya have both described it. Uh, He doesn't seem to be getting credit for what he has done. And I, I find that unfortunate because you know, I worked a lot on trying to help pass the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I saw how hard it was to pass firsthand, just like Zoya described. We didn't know if we would get anything. And, you know, these complex laws, as a political scientist, I know that Americans never know. You know, Americans don't know what the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, they don't know what that is, even though it gave health care to millions of Americans. These laws always struggle when it comes to everyday people understanding what they are. I think it's going to take a few more years until people really understand how transformative this is. And it's true. In the meantime, these climate disasters, we're talking about horrible wildfires, you know, entire towns burning down. Those are so visceral. And it's it's very understandable that people are freaked out and want to do more. I feel the same way. I wish we could do more. But given the way Congress was last year, the fact that we were able to pass any climate bill and the fact that the president gave it that much priority, to me, I'm really impressed. But it's true that it's really not resonating with everyday people as much as it is with, you know, someone like me. Emily, almost a third of the IRA's climate change fighting proposals involve individual actions. That's according to a study published last month by researchers at Princeton. How far does the IRA go toward pushing institutional change rather than relying on individual actions? What, can, can you clarify what you mean when you when you say institutional change? So really structural change in the U.S., moving us away from fossil fuels, but in ways that don't rely on me, for instance, buying an electric vehicle. You know, I don't think that the Inflation Reduction Act itself does a lot for that. Um, it's a really, you know, it's a market-based uh, program where it's all about carrots. It's all about incentives to get people to adopt these new technologies. But what I think um, Dr. Stokes mentioned earlier is that it basically enables the government to successfully introduce these new regulations like a clean power plant plan, um, car emission regulations that you know, will be more of a, a forcing pressure on those industries and and. Th- by having the incentives to back them up by saying these technologies are affordable because we have subsidies for them, they're making those rules, the power plant rule and the car rule, more airtight. 
We got a couple of messages along these lines from our listeners. Martin emails, right now, most of the nation's coal-fired power plants are facing shutdown because natural gas is a much cheaper fossil fuel to burn. If we switch a majority of households, businesses, and vehicles to electricity, won't that increase demand and give these coal plants a new lease on life? And then we also got this text, my life has been relatively fossil fuel free for years now, but I am concerned about an electric power grid that is fueled by coal, nuclear, and other dubious fuel sources. I wish there were more efforts to reduce dependency on electricity. Zoya, what do you make of those messages? Yeah, that's interesting. I would point to a uh, a fight in New York City that that unfolded recently. Um, there was this effort to, since um, actually environmental activists helped shut down the Indian um, Point nuclear plant, um, and so the, the city had to f- figure out some other source of electricity. And to do that, it's going all the way to Quebec for hydropower, um, and it's going to run a giant transmission line from Quebec to Queens. So that has been an enormous undertaking, as you might imagine. There have been communities in Maine who have fought it, um, despite Maine's uh, heat pump uh, rate. I mean, th- that state really d- did not want this transmission line running through it. Um, and so in the interim, while New York City was trying to figure out what to do, it had to um, depend on uh, fossil fuel-powered plants. And so you can see that. I mean, when I was talking about the trade-offs that states are going to have to make, that people are going to have to make on a daily basis, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You have to weigh all these different factors. And really, getting your grid clean is a huge undertaking. You have to sometimes run a line all the way to Canada to get clean power. So, mm. um, I, yeah, I think that you know, reducing electricity, the second question that came in, it is harder. I mean, think about climate change. And the way that heat is going this summer, for example, people need more air conditioning. I mean, you have to have cool air to survive. So I think we're looking at more power, not less. Gigi emails, this year we installed a heat pump as a replacement for our old AC. Additionally, it's a heat pump which would work for us most of the winter, reducing our reliance on natural gas energy. Hopefully soon we can just get rid of the natural gas furnace completely. And Glenda emails, we're building a green home in Alexandria with the goal to be net zero in a year. We're passionate about doing the right thing for our beautiful world and are very worried as to what has been and is being done to our planet. Before we can build, we have to have the current, very old and unsalvageable house removed. So in keeping with being as green as possible, we have hired a deconstruction company, which means everything that is salvageable will be taken to their warehouse to be resold or reused and not thrown in the dump. Just as we wrap up in this final minute or so, I'd love to hear from each of you as this program continues to roll out, what you're watching most closely, especially when it comes to who can access these funds. Leah, I'll come to you first. Yeah, you know, I'm looking to see more adoption of electric vehicles and heat pumps from folks uh, all across the country of all different income brackets. And I know those rebate programs and the EV tax credit for used cars, which is for $4,000, something we didn't talk about, you know, that that's going to make these things more accessible. And folks may not realize it, but if you run an EV on any grid in this country, including in Hawaii's grid, which is literally used uh, uses burning oil, it's actually cleaner than running a combustion car. So the grid's already cleaner. It's not something folks have to worry about. Emily? Yeah, I just want to emphasize what Leah just said. Um, When you switch to a heat pump, no matter where you are in the country, we already know that that is reducing emissions, just to answer that listener's question. And I think moving ahead, one thing I'm paying attention to is the jobs created by the Inflation Reduction Act. Are these going to be the good jobs that Biden promised? Will they be union jobs? 
who will get them, will local communities get them. Um, that's one thing I'm paying attention to. So, yeah, I'll give you the last word in just a sentence or two. Yeah, I'll be looking at how Biden tries to package this for voters. I'll be looking at the politics of it all. It's really important, too. That's also about accessibility. That's Zoya Tierstein. She's a staff writer at Grist. Emily Pontagorvo, a staff writer at Heatmap News. That's a digital magazine covering climate change. And Leah Stokes, a political science professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Zoya, Emily, Leah, thanks for joining us today. Today's podcast was produced by Arfi Getty. It was edited by Matthew Simonson. Amanda Williams edits our Plugged In series. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business? Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob. The news can feel incredibly overwhelming. For a breath of much-needed fresh air, head to NPR.org's culture section. From the buzzy movies, tiny desk, and artists that everyone seems to know about, type in NPR.org for the latest and greatest in the pop culture universe. 